0: The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. Uh, it's great to be with you guys. Yeah, as, as, as Daniel was sharing, my family and I, we, um, we, we spent the last 20 years of our lives in Eastern Europe or Central Europe in the country of Hungary, and uh, we. We ended our time, you know, the majority of our time we spent in the city of Budapest. And there's uh, 28 Calvaries that have gotten started from that area across the country. And there's about 55 different Calvary churches across Central and Eastern Europe. We have another, I think it's 23 in the country of Ukraine. And so for those 20 years that my uh, wife and I and our kids that we lived in, In Hungary, we also had a really deep and very close connection to uh, our friends, missionaries, and church planters and churches in Ukraine. There was not a year that went by that we didn't spend some time there because we were just very close to the missionaries and the national leaders, and uh, Hungary and Ukraine uh, today are not very close politically, but uh, back then, church-wise, we're very close. We have uh, so much in common, and... uh, you know it was an interesting thing because about four years ago we we really felt like the Lord was calling us to move back and really you know our kids were all raised born and raised there for the most part. Um, we have four kids, and all of them the first time they would be living in America would be in two thousand and eighteen uh, and so jumping into this world here as a family was very interesting. This is a very interesting country and uh, we love it, and we're confused sometimes. <laughs> and uh, we, my wife and I were barely teenager, or barely adults, I should say, not barely teenagers because that's illegal, but we were barely adults when we moved over to Hungary, and we barely adults, 18 and 20, and we had a little, or 19 and 21, and we had a one-year-old little girl, and we moved over there. So we did all of our adulting in a foreign country. When I came back and tried to buy a car, I had no credit. I had, I mean, it was an interesting experience. Very, very. They're like, "You, how old are you?" And I'm like, "Why?" And they said, "Well, you have the credit of like an 18-year-old." It's like, "Yeah, I left. I left a long time ago." Oops. So we uh, we've been back in uh, in San Diego, and you know, did and were some of you aware of the crisis at our border of Ukrainians that were coming across? Any of you hear about that out here in Escondido? There was about. Actually, let me tell you exactly. 25,303 Ukrainians came across the border from Tijuana into America because they were, uh, the U.S. government said, we're welcoming them, but you have to come through a land border. I get a phone call. I get a phone call. Uh, I, My wife and I and our, and our daughter uh, had just, uh, one of our kids, we would just come back from uh, Hungary and Ukraine. The day after the war broke out, February 24th, our, um, we flew over to Hungary, just knowing there was going to be a massive move of people, and we felt like we just need to be there. We need to be present. We need to help get our missionaries out and families that can get out. We needed to be there. And then a group of uh, a group of us uh, men, we went into Ukraine and spent some days there, helping pull people out that were needing to to get out of the country. And so then we flew back to, into San Diego, and like three days later, I get a phone call from a friend who said, hey, there's some Ukrainians in Tijuana, and we're right on the border. We're 10 minutes from the border. And I'm like, really, what are they doing there? And they're like, yeah, they don't know either. They're just stuck. And they're, everybody's just stuck, and maybe you guys could go. So we go down, and I meet some other people, and this wild journey of about, five weeks of our lives where, like I said, 25,303 people came across uh, in a span of just about five weeks. And uh, we were working just amazingly well with uh, Border Patrol, Homeland Security, State Department, and uh, the Ukrainian embassy in Mexico City, and just trying to help as many people as as possible. And uh, it was an incredible experience to be in America and have all these people, this like world... You know, I even had some of the people from our churches in Ukraine, ladies and their kids, came across through Tijuana, into San Ysidro, and there we were. And it was freaking us out, like, where am I? What world are we in right now? And our two worlds came together, and still it still continues. Um, we've taken a real strong, uh, just as much as we can do to help people. I was just in Ukraine two weeks ago. And visiting our churches, and I, we called it like the encouragement tour. We just wanted to go and visit as many of our churches as we could and encourage the, the uh, believers. One of our churches, uh, I'm going to grab a bag, so follow me on the camera there, but I'm just going to grab my little, I, bring, I brought a Mary Poppins bag. It's not Mary Poppins, and I'm not Mary, but I, I brought a bag here. Uh, I need these in just a second, but we, uh, we went to one of the cities. It's pretty well, I mean, we hear about it on the news quite a bit now, but we went there because we have a church there, and we knew it was maybe a little bit on the very close onto the eastern side, but our goal was to, we want to go and encourage as many of our our friends as we could, and so uh, one of the guys, a young man who was uh, kind of like leading the church, he's not the pastor, but he was leading the church. Uh, he, you know, he, the, the men from 18 to about 60, they can't leave the country. They need to stay there in case their, their numbers are called up to fight. And uh, so we, we're like, hey, uh, you know, we're ready. We'll be there Sunday morning. And he's like, great, it'll be amazing. So we get there, and it's just him. And, uh, and, then, and then this whole crowd starts coming in. And everybody was about 75 years and older. The whole crowd and I was like, man, I've been to this church before, and this is, I, this is unique. And well, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm forgetting where I was at the moment because the men of that town were all off fighting. The women were in Poland or America or somewhere else to be safe. It's really hard for these guys to have to fight with their wives in country. They feel better to get them out so they can just focus. But there's all these elderly folks who have nowhere to go. And the church decided, we're just going to be a center for food, for water. There's no power, no water supplies. We're just going to be a place that provides all those things. And all these, this elderly crowd started coming just to the uh, uh, um, humanitarian aid. Like, they, they just came to get humanitarian aid. And one after another, they started getting saved. And so we had Sunday morning service with about 85 now i listen, I got white hair, so I can say it they were old white- they are old hair you know old white white haired people, and uh, I felt young, I was so young, it was amazing uh and and boy, we worshiped and we prayed and we looked at scripture together, and I was reminded that like every person's life is of value and so i I carry with you i carry to you i should say the kind of the burden of the church there that is like they're seeing their numbers grow because they're seeing the church react in a way to help people. And isn't, isn't that honestly why we're here? So that when we hit our valleys, we'll be ready and how we can help the people that God puts into our lives. It's an amazing thing to see what's happening there. I I um I gotta tell you, okay, so I've got some props here, but I gotta tell you, this is my first time at Maranatha Chapel. I hope I'll be invited back. We'll see. Sometimes I'm a one and done. We'll see. Uh, <laughs> But I hope I hope I will, but I was like, okay, I don't know this church at all. Every I've been I, I went back in your archives and I was like listening to people talking about, you know, my best friend you heard last week. Sorry you get me this week it's too bad for you but uh, my best buddy in the world Greg and Greg is like oh I have this history with Ray and all these people I was listening to other guys talking about I've got no history with Ray I met him a few times loved the death out of him and he was an amazing human being you guys were so fortunate so lucky and uh, but I'm I'm watching these things and I'm like okay let me see Daniel I met Daniel a few times what an amazing guy what an amazing pastor And then I'm watching the service, and I'm like, dang, this is a really good Bible study. But I I went to watch it because I was like, what do people wear at that church? I know it's super vain. And then I'm looking at Daniel. I'm like, dang, he's a good-looking dude. I started crushing on your pastor. I'm like, wow, he's a really good... And then I went on to the worship night that you guys just had, like a Wednesday... And then the guy can sing, and now I started to hate the guy. I was like, I hate this guy. This is unfair. Nobody should be able to do this. <laughs> and, and I was like, I was, started, I was just blown away by what God has done here. And I, when I moved here four years ago, I guess I do have a, a story to share. The church that I took over has been in, in, re, in, um, in repair. It's been hurting for a while, and we're, we're kind of in like what we call a replanting of that, that space for the Lord. And um, we have a school there, and it was kind of struggling. And so, I called up to your your pastor Ray, and I just like, hey, you know, we've we've met a couple times, but I'm in the neighborhood, and I don't know what I'm doing, and why I don't I'm I'm confused. Why did I decide to do this? And why did I move to America and this church? And what am I doing? And he was, as you already know, very gracious. And he called your superintendent, Jess, and he called a couple other elders here, and he, and he sent out a group text, and he just said, this is Phil. He's the new pastor at Calvary San Diego, and God's going to use him in huge ways. He had more faith than I did, that's for sure. And, but that's what I discovered. That's who Ray was, right? Uh, he had a lot of faith for For himself and for other people. And he's like, whatever he needs, just help him. And your school and your church and the leaders here really rolled out a red carpet for us and helped us out of a very difficult season at Calvary San Diego. So that's my Maranatha connection. That's it. That's all I got. Um, And I was crushing on your pastor. I, I really, he was just so good looking, great voice. Man, it's crazy. Okay. You can see on the screen behind me and all around, I want to talk about filters. I want to talk about filters. When we first moved to America, I, uh, I, uh, I got an email, and you get a lot of junk emails when you move back to America. I never got them in Hungary like this, but you really get them here a lot. I got this email, and they were like, hey, if you just, um, you know, um, uh, respond to this, we'll give you a $25 Amazon card. I was like, I love $25. And I love Amazon. You know, in Hungary, we we didn't have access to Amazon the way you do here. And I remember asking a friend of mine who was a missionary in Hungary as long as we were. And he was visiting back in Hungary. And I'm like, okay, explain America in, you know, 20, I don't know, it was 2012. And he's like, just remember these words, Amazon Prime. It's the most amazing thing you've ever seen in your life. We didn't have anything like that. So I got a free Amazon card. So the guy shows up at our, he's like... I'm like, hey, just mail me the card. I'd love a free card. He goes, no, oh, no, I'll come and I'll deliver it. And I'm like, man, Americans are so friendly. <laughs> what an idiot I was. Homeboy shows up and he's like, hey, can I come in for a minute? I'm like, wow, people are really assertive here. And he comes in and he, he, he takes, where is it at? Yeah. He tried to sell me water filters. He wanted me to buy water filters. I learned more about water filters than anybody who doesn't care about water filters should ever know. He told me everything, and then I was, I'm like, oh my gosh, if there's something I should have done, it's check my emails better, (laughs) you know? But I got a $25 card out of it, and it worked, so I was happy. I want to talk about filters tonight. You guys have these in your homes, water filters? What about these filters? You got got some of these? Change your filters if you haven't. I just changed it today. Dear God, I should have changed them a long time ago. (laughs) You got a water filter or air filter? I got more filters in here. Oh yeah, this is... How about these? This is San Diego must-have sunglasses. You need these to filter out some of that sun, right? Oh, this is everybody's. Oh wait, no, hold on. I got one more here. You know, you guys, know what this is? Oh, this is me and my wife are bougie coffee drinkers. This is called an Aeropress filter. Yep, we're kind of we're kind of bougie with our, our our coffee. Okay, and then the last one, everybody's favorite N95 mask. Don't you love these? (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Filters. I want to talk about filters tonight. And I want to talk about the kind of filters, not these kind, because these kind, well, whatever. I want to talk about the kind that are actually either going to work in your favor or are working against you. And so I want to give a, a kind of, I'm just going to bounce through a whole bunch of Uh, scriptures, I think many of them will probably be on the screen, I'll mention it, and then jump on either your Bible app, or in your Bible, if you have one in front of you, but I want to talk about filters. It's interesting, because in the Old Testament, in the book of Joshua, in the fourth chapter, the children of Israel had just crossed into the promised land, and the Lord opened up the river. And they were walking across on dry land. And then before it all closed up, they were to go back and each one of the like tribe leaders would grab a stone or a rock from the the river and bring it. And then they set up this altar. Joshua chapter 4 verse 7, you will answer them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord when it crossed over the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan were cut off and these stones will be a memorial to the children of Israel forever. So Joshua had the, you know, the, the elders go back, grab a stone, because someday, you know, I mean, imagine being one of the people that crossed like a river on dry land, you know, it parted and you crossed, so that's like one of those moments where you're like, I will never forget this ever in my life. And those are words that are not true, because you will, and we all do. And so, and not only that, but then the kids come, and then the grandkids, and then the great grandkids, and they don't have any recollection of that moment in the same way. And so, they were told to take these stones and to create a memorial as a way of remembering this amazing thing that had happened. Why? Because in this case, and in some cases, looking back on the faithfulness of God helps us to understand and be rooted in our present and to see how we can step forward into our future. Sometimes, looking back, especially when you look back at the faithfulness of God... It'll help really root you in your presence, whether it's a valley or a mountain or whatever you're going through. And it will certainly help propel you towards a better future. The problem is is that we all look back. maybe Maybe we've said or heard things like this, oh, the good old days. The truth is is The world's always been a sinful place. There's never been good old days. You might have, like when I got saved, we were singing songs like Let the Walls Fall Down. Remember that song? Like I I got saved in Orange County. I went to Harvest Crusades. There was a certain, like the Harvest Crusade band. They would say, we don't sing that song anymore. Why? Because time moved forward. Looking back on the tragedies of your life or certain parts of your past, may not be helping you as you try to root yourself in your present and move forward in your future. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's not, and I want to kind of talk about that. It really has to do with the kind of filter that you put over your mind and over your heart and how, and that, how you process information, tragedy, triumph, and so on. I have a friend who's getting her doctorate in psychology, and she was telling me how a part of the work that she's doing is in uh, how people not just survive difficulty, but how some people thrive through difficulty. And it's like a phenomena that she's studying to understand, like, what is it in a person that helps them to, that through this difficulty, they came out of this and they seem to be even doing stronger and better. What are the, what's the secret sauce? You should, I guess you could say. It's a fascinating thing that she's looking at. I have a friend in Hungary. His name is Tomáš. And Tomáš has the IQ and the uh, kind of the presence of about a four, five, six-year-old. Because he was about that age, he walked into his living room where his, his dad had killed himself. And his brain just snapped. And he froze in one moment of his life. And man, he loves the Lord and he's the sweetest, sweetest person. But he's frozen. His brain has been frozen from one particular moment. You know, other people have experienced tragedies and they've come out strong. How is that? Why is that? Some looking back can be very healthy for you just like it was for the for the tribes of Israel to look back at those stones and to go wow look at what God's done isn't that so great let's not forget what God did but my stories of what God's done in my life for me may not be the thing that like moves the next generation in faith towards God they need to have their own experiences with God And their own just experience of God working in their life. The rocks in that case were God's way of helping people to filter the past. Filters are how we perceive life. I'm going to read to you from John chapter 12, beginning in verse 27. Jesus said, my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and I will glorify it again. Therefore, the people who stood by and heard it, they said that it had thundered. Others said an angel has spoken to him. And Jesus answered and said, the voice did not come because of me, but for your sake. There's a whole lot going on there. I just want to focus on this one idea here. Isn't it amazing that like we read that, you know, from the Holy Spirit inspiring the letter of John, John writes this, that a voice came from heaven and it was God the Father speaking to his son Jesus. So if we accept the Bible to be true, then that's what happened. But isn't it interesting how that others heard not the voice of God, what did they hear? They heard thunder. And then still others heard it was an angel. How is it possible? And we see this also in the uh, uh, when, when uh, the Apostle Paul, known as Saul, in the book of Acts, when he met Jesus, something very similar seemed to be happening, where he clearly heard the voice of God. Others heard rumblings and thunder and so on. How is it possible that one group of people heard thunder... Another group of people heard an angel, and then Jesus says, it was the voice of my Father, not for me, but for you. How is that possible? Let me suggest something to you. It has to do with the filters that we put over our lives. You see, if you're the kind, or if you have people in your life, maybe there's, there's some people who like, they're going to rationalize away every single miracle possible. Oh, it was a miracle. No, it was like fortuitous. It was just Luck or whatever it might be. Others might say, no, I'm a spiritual person. It was an angel. It was something mystical or something like that. Do you see how that happens? People could so easily, I mean, we're talking about God speaking from heaven to people, to his son, Jesus. And what some of the crowd was like, wow, that thunder was crazy. And and, I mean, you you just like you want to walk up and slap and say, what are you talking about? Thunder, what thunder? But how many people, even still to this day, will rationalize the work of God, will rationalize away a move of God? And by the way, don't think right now, oh yeah, those non-Christians, that's what they do. Oh, that's what we do too, Christian. We have a tendency, if we're not careful, if we put the wrong filter over our lives, that filter of, you know, oh, you know, I believe in God, but, you know, I don't know if all that other stuff is totally true. I want to talk about another filter. This one is a, this one's a hard one because it affects all of us. It's the filter of bitterness. Don't raise your hand, but I just want to, I want you to consider it. I want you to consider the filter of bitterness. In Acts chapter 8, beginning in verse 9, there was a man named Simon. He would practiced magic in the city, amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great And they paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized. Both men and women, even Simon himself, believed. And after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. We jump ahead. Now, when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John. And they came down and they prayed that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for as of yet it had not fallen on them. Now, when Simon saw the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money. And he's like, Give me this power, so that anybody on whom I lay my hands, they might receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. And then notice this, for I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And Simon said, pray for me that none of these things fall upon me. That's not the word I would have used to describe what I just read to you all. Greed, that's a word I would have used. But Peter says, you are, you've put bitterness over your hearts. You've put bitterness. So we have to ask ourselves, is that something that we struggle with? Bitterness that things haven't turned out the way we thought they would? Bitterness in, in, the, in, the, way, in the state of our of our lives, the state of our nation, the state of our world, the state, whatever state you want to talk about. Have you moved from disappointment to bitterness? And because what happens is when we let bitterness in, it becomes the filter that we translate everything else. Everything becomes tainted, so to speak. This guy Simon had become bitter. Why can't I do that? Why do, I was the magic man of this town and then these guys come in and preach this message and I believe it and I, lo- I think it's amazing. But why am I no longer that person? Why can't I do that? And whatever it might be. You know, if we're not careful, especially as we get older, it's easy to be like, well, you know, things didn't work out the way that they, I thought they would. It's easy to become bitter. Oh, look at how well that person's doing, or so on. Bitterness is a filter that will completely choke out the life of God in us. And by the way, as I mention a few more of these, um, and you're like, oh my gosh, I have that one, and I have that one, and I have that one. Don't feel bad. This isn't like you only get one. Probably all of us wrestle with little bits of these in every part of our lives, here and there. Let me mention another one to you. It's the filter of fear. It's the filter of fear. An example, Joseph was the second in command in Egypt. And he has seen his brothers. If you remember this story in the book of Genesis, he, he, he was imprisoned, he was a slave, he was imprisoned, and now he's second in command of all of Egypt. God did this for, for his glory and to rescue the nation, this, this fledgling tribe's, you know, this family. And, and Joseph has just seen his brothers but they didn't recognize him. And they go back to their dad with the conditions that Joseph had set upon them. That the next time they came back for food, they needed to bring their brother Benjamin. Benjamin was dear to Joseph. And he's like, I, I, So if, listen, you can go, but I need you to bring back your brother Benjamin. And they didn't recognize him. So the brothers go home. And it totally and completely broke Jacob's heart. Do you know how we always, how many of you have more than one kid? You have more than one kid right? And you say to your children, I love all of you the same, right? Right. Just shake your head. Yes. Jacob totally did not say those words. Jacob was, he, I mean, he had, you know, he had a lot of kids and he was like, oh, you know, you brothers go and get food from Egypt, you know, we'll see what happens to you. And then they come back and they're like, we got to bring Benjamin and he loses it. He loved Benjamin so much. Genesis chapter 42, verse 36, Jacob, their father, said to the brothers, he said to them, you have bereaved me. Joseph is no more. Simeon is no more. And now you want to take Benjamin and notice this statement. All things are against me. Now in less than two chapters the entire family of Israel, Jacob, is going to be rescued in the most miraculous, beautiful way. One of the greatest redemption stories in the Bible, besides the ultimate redemption story of Jesus. The fact that the brothers sold their their brother Joseph, condemned him what they thought was to death, but God, through his mercies, raised him up. And Joseph, not bitter, not, he was not a bitter person. He saw how God was using all these things to redeem his family. And the brothers go back and they say, we got to bring Benjamin. In two chapters, Jacob's story is going to go from all things are against me to God is working all things together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purposes. Things can change really fast. But his filter was fear. He was afraid. It's a false thing to tell people to just not be afraid. Because there's plenty to be afraid of. I mean, it's, you know, it's just not true to be like, oh, don't be afraid. No, you should be afraid. Life is scary. But if that becomes the filter that you see all of your life... You see, these filters, and we'll talk about it a little bit more in just a minute, these filters are the diminishing of the, of the faithfulness of God over you. It diminishes you seeing the goodness and faithfulness and mercy of God because you become so preoccupied with this thing, this bitterness, or in this case, this fear. Greg, last week, spoke to you about expectations. In 2 Kings chapter 5, I'm not going to read it tonight. Uh, they'll, 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 I think we'll put up a couple of verses. And you can see it, But I'm not going to read this whole. It's an amazing passage where the like prime minister of Assyria it has leprosy, a death sentence. And he goes to Elisha, the prophet, because he had been told that there was a prophet in Israel who could heal him. And so he goes to the prophet. And Elisha wouldn't even come outside to see the guy. Elisha stays in his house, and don't think that he lived in some palatial, you know, home in Israel. It's like a hut in the middle of nowhere, Israel. He's in this little hut. He sends out one of his servants, and he's like, go tell him this is what you got to do. God's ready to heal you, and what you got to do is you got to go wash seven times in the Jordan. And this guy Naaman is kind of like upset he had expectation that there was gonna be a show, a thing, God was gonna do some great thing. And he got so mad, he said to the servant, he goes, Can your master come out here? And he's like, Uh yeah, it's kind of awkward, but he said, No. <laughs> and, and and here's what's happening: Hey, I'm important. Send the important person out here. He had expectation. Why doesn't Elijah come out? Because Elisha knows the most important person is the one that's unseen right now. It was God. God wanted to work. Elijah had nothing to do with the healing of Naaman. So he's like, why should I go out? I'm not the one doing it. And then then when he says, you know, go wash in the Jordan, Naaman's like, do you realize we have two rivers, two rivers better than your dumpy Jordan? You know, we're Christians. We talk about the Jordan in a way that's like, You know, it's beautiful and it's wonderful. And this guy's like, dude, I got better rivers than where I'm from. And the servant's like, yeah, but I still think you should just go do it. (laughs) He had false expectations. You realize that the filter of false expectations could destroy you, ruin so much of what God wants to do. Let me move to this one, the filter of shame. The filter of shame. Shame. Maybe when you were little, you were told you're not smart enough, not pretty enough, not fit enough. It's amazing how many, like, famous people, you know, they'll win an award and they'll thank God or, you know, but then they'll also say something like this, you know, my fourth grade teacher told me that I would never amount to anything. And look at me now. you know. <laughs> it's, kind of, it's like when, you, when, when, when you've been so impacted by shame that you're motivated by that. Friends, every once in a while, there'll be a diamond in the rough. But for most people, it's destructive. It really ruins their lives. And it might not be the shame you're putting on yourself, but it might be shame that's been put upon you. And let me say this what happens to those who have been filtering life through shame, they have to be careful that they don't then put that filter on other people. I feel ashamed, so should you. I feel, I feel, you know, I feel bad, why are you so free? You should feel bad just like I do. And I want to just kind of briefly mention a passage to you in Luke chapter 5 from verses 1 through 9. Jesus got into a boat. They pushed the boat off a little bit for him to preach to people. And he was in the boat of Simon Peter. Jesus taught the people. And afterwards, he said to them, Okay, go cast out your nets. Verse 5 of Luke Uh, Five. Simon said, Master, we toiled all night. We took nothing. But at your word, we'll let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help. And they came and they filled both boats so that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees and he said, listen to this. This is what the filter of shame looks like. He's in the presence of the living God who came to become and be the savior of the world. And he says this. Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. Do you see what shame makes you? This is the exact opposite of what you say to the Savior of the world. You don't say, hey, Savior, depart from me. You say, hey, Savior, I'm here. I'm a person that you could save. But Peter saw his life through shame, disappointments. He was a letdown. He was, you know why he's a fisherman? Yeah, his dad was a fisherman. But you know why he's a fisherman? Because he didn't get chosen to go on to study, study the law. He got passed over. All the guys doing trades were just second class. And then here's a real religious leader who just preached a message full of grace. And then he says, go catch some fish. And the fisherman's like, eh, it's not really time, but okay. Pulls in the biggest haul he ever has. And he's like, you got to depart from me. Shame, you'd think that shame would drive us into the arms of Jesus, but what it often does is it pushes us away. Because shame is not humility. Shame is becoming so self-focused on the the negative that has been poured into your life, either by you, by others, by circumstance, it becomes so self-consuming that when somebody reaches out to say, let me help you, like, get away from me. Let me just sit in my shame. It's not what God has for you and me. I could mention more, and I'm just going to mention a couple for you to consider, and I want to to get to closing here. Insecurity. Terrible filter to filter your life through. Terrible filter. Painful filter. Moses was a man who was deeply insecure. He's like, Lord, I'm not the one that can go and speak for you. I have a stutter. And the Lord's like, oh, I'm sorry, wrong Moses. (laughs) No, the Lord's like, hey, who made man's mouth? You don't get to tell me. See, here's the thing about insecurity. It can either be, you know, it it can kind of go two ways, right? I make myself equal to God with my overconfidence. It's a form of insecurity. I don't need you, God. I got this. The other side of that is that I have to show, I show how weak God is because he can't even help me. Lord, I stutter. Who can help me? God's like, "Uh, me. Who made you? Insecurity in this situation for Moses was not him. It wasn't humbly saying, Lord, I submit my life to you. I'm a failure, but I submit my life to you. Insecurity, that filter, does not drive you into the arms of Jesus. It'll push you out of them. When you filter your life through insecurity, you'll say, Lord, even you're too weak to do anything for me. Nothing can help me. So how should we filter our lives? It's really simple. You ready? Through the faithfulness, mercy, grace, and love of God. Filter our lives through the word of God. Filter our lives through the will of God. Filter our lives through the heart of God. Filter our lives through the mind of God. Filter our lives for the future that God has for us. How else are we supposed to see who we are? We go to the scriptures and we get the most healthy assessment of who we are as human beings. And it's an absolute paradox. There's no other way to say it. We are walking paradoxes. On one hand, we are, as the Bible says, and as Paul even said, Paul said, I'm the chief of all sinners. We're at the bottom. We're... But then, then on the other hand... Then on the other hand, we've been redeemed and we're more than conquerors through Christ Jesus, our Lord. And here's the thing. You're not one or the other. You're both. You're both. I'm broken and yet being mended by a loving, gracious God. I am in need and I am totally rich and full. It's this paradox of the Christian life. I sat in so many homes in Ukraine a few weeks back. No power, next door, c- completely gone. This, this lady's home, she was in her basement, and a tank thing had gone, you know, whatever it's called, you know, um, projectile had gone right through her house. Scared the daylights out of her dog. Sounds funny, but she was like, this is my this is my comfort. This is my and we're sitting in this house and she's telling us all about the mercies of God and the goodness of God. And she's crying about God. We're crying about her situation. Both were true, weren't they? Both were true. Maybe you have kids or grandkids that are not walking with the Lord right now, and yet at the other hand, you're experiencing a great just move of God in your own heart. Both are true. There's heartache, and then there's there's joy. And we need to learn to filter our lives. We need to place over our lives the grace, the mercy, the love, the faithfulness of God. We need to go back and look at those stones and be like, oh yeah, God's been faithful to me and he'll keep being faithful to me. Paul near the end of his own life in 1st Timothy 1 he said this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I'm chief. But for this reason I obtained mercy that in me first Jesus might show all long suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. Do you see the dichotomy? Do you see the paradox? this right here, my friends, this is the filter of the faithfulness of God. He says, this is a faithful saying. And everybody's like, oh, tell us, tell us. He goes, I'm the chief of all sinners. And We're like, wow, that's not what we expected to hear. But for this reason, I will show the goodness and the love of God for the rest of my life. I'm not going to hide who I was and who I am. This is me. And I am going to let God pour through me. I'm going to let the filter of his goodness filter over my life. And I'm going, to let, I'm going to be raw and real. I'm going to let people see who I am. And I'm going to hope that through that, they're going to see who Jesus is. This was Paul's message. And notice then how he, when you take his, his need for God, the faithfulness of God, how does it end? Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever, amen. Did you know even in your brokenness you will glorify God if you will let him pour and work through your life? The story of your life will not be, yeah, he was kind of messed up, but he was kind of okay. The story of your life will be, I don't know how, but God did this thing that was beautiful. Beautiful. It'll be his story in the end. You know, we're going to get to heaven, and it won't be all of our collective stories. It'll be one grand story of God working in each one of our lives. So learn tonight, start this week, to filter your life, your thoughts, your interactions with family and coworkers and friends Filter it through the faithfulness of God. When things don't go your way, don't jump to, this always happens to me. But maybe the filter that says, okay, Lord, what are you trying to do? Because I don't get it. And we don't lie and we don't hide, but I don't get it. And believe that in this season, in this season, I'm not talking about good old days. I'm talking about good days right now. There's not been a better time in human history than for you and I to get to reach people than right now, because this is when we're alive. This is our time. And I won't moan about it or whine about it. I will glorify God in the season that God's given us to be used by him for his glory and his purposes. Amen? Amen? Father, thank you so much for the chance to be in your word, and I pray just blessing upon this group, Lord. Bless them, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that, I mean, this has been a a decade after decade, just been your faithfulness over and over and over and over and over. I thank you for that, Lord. Bless these men and women with just more of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our weekend services held Saturday evening or Sunday morning. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.